This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you have taken the opportunity to either view on YouTube or listen on iTunes to this most recent Thrive Podcast. We want to remind you that we are interested in knowing what you think about the podcast. You can write me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net, and tell us how we're doing, good, bad, or otherwise, and we appreciate your viewership, your listenership, and we appreciate your input. I'm very happy today to welcome a neighbor of mine, a friend of mine, Mr. Todd Sterling, who is the founder of Alpha Media. He has 30 years of experience in media, uh, working both in radio and in television. He is currently the host and executive producer of the Jaguar Football Show with Coach Dawson Odoms, and I guess I'll start with that. What kind of season are the Jaguars going to have this year? You know, uh, Reverend Smith, I believe we're going to be good. Uh, last year we were second in the SWAC. Um, and for lack of no hard work on the coaches' staff, we are loaded coming back. Um, but Alcorn's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Grambling's going to be better. And Prairie's going to be better. So the competition got better as we did. So uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting season in the SWAC. And my hope is that Coach Dawson Odoms and the Jaguar football staff definitely step up to the plate and uh, have the ball bounce their way as well as win some games they're supposed to win this year. Let me ask you this question Mm -hmm. uh, because I do have a peeve. My father and I used to go to the ball games. I went from the age I was six until he couldn't go anymore. Okay. so, So I consider myself a Jaguar football fan. I do have a concern with the fact that these young men are being put out on the field as sacrificial lambs against certain schools uh, where uh, these athletes are bigger, stronger, faster, and it seems to be that it's being done uh, for the uh, athletic department to recoup a financial gain, but there's very little uh, expectation of the team winning. Is that a fair assessment on my part, or, or, or do you find it unfair? I and it's okay to say this unfair. No, no, no. I think, uh, I think your assessment is what a lot of people think mm-hmm. when you have the rental win games, as mm-hmm. they call them. Uh, the big schools are looking for uh, W's right. uh, because that's what gets them into the bowl games. Right. The little schools are looking for paydays right. because in a school like Southern's case, a game against a Georgia or an SEC school could probably fund just about the whole athletic department to some degree for a year. Right. I mean, you think about it, if you can get a check for $750,000, $800,000 plus from one football game, mm-hmm. that goes a long way to paying a lot of salaries and a lot of cost for a small school's mm-hmm. athletic staff. Uh, my my challenge in uh, on the football side of things is I think it's okay for a Southern to play an SEC school. Uh, I think that the coaches have to be real that there is the possibility of injury. Um, but 
in most schools' case, there is an injury. It's just usually a lopsided win. Right. It's a great experience for the small school to see how the big slash rich schools live, and usually everybody goes away uh, with the expectation of what it is. But every now and then, the small school beats the big school. Yes. Because when it comes down to it, uh, Reverend Smith, when it comes to a good quarterback, running back, wide receiver, um, uh, defensive backfield, a lot of times it doesn't matter what school you are. If you can play ball, you can play ball. Right. Uh, the difference a lot of times is on the line. You know, if you're giving up 60, 70 pounds uh, to a competitor, over time, over four quarters, mm -hmm. you get beat down. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, they're stronger, they're bigger. And so that's where the challenge becomes. they have a becomes. deeper depth chart. Then they have mm -hmm. a deeper depth chart, exactly. Uh, they got 100-plus scholarships to the SWAC schools, maybe 80-plus mm -hmm. uh, scholarships. So mm -hmm. uh, those are some of the challenges. But I tell you what. In the whole 23 years that I've produced uh, the Southern University Football Coaching Show, I really enjoyed the opportunity to go to the bigger schools to see how they live. Last year, uh, we played TCU. Mm -hmm. TCU is a very wealthy private school, right. and there was no embarrassment of riches at TCU. They have the best of everything. Uh, you know, and it was just a good experience all the way around for the Southern kids, I thought for the Southern faithful. Um, you know, and, and again, early on you hope that it's gonna be a competitive game, you know, ultimately it gets out of hand. But sometimes, like when we played Georgia, you know, we were hanging in there with Georgia yeah. and the ball bounces our way a couple of times. It's a closer game uh, than what the score actually actually shows. So um, when you get that opportunity, I think you have to take it to some degree because if not, there's a lot of bowling, softball, uh, right. non-revenue generating sports that have to be paid for. I get the economics of it. Correct. My, my question is about the psyche of the player on the field. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and and this is something I don't know because I, I don't get to talk to the players. Right. You have. Right. How do they feel about playing in these I games? think they love it. It's the David and Goliath all the way back to the biblical terms, mm -hmm. you know, times. Uh, I think, you know, I, I grew up with an uncle who was three years older than me, and so it was always fun to take down the older guys. You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, there, there's a little pride in that, yeah. a little machismo in that. Yeah. So I think that the kids step up to the plate and like the challenge. Uh, I think the coaches like the challenge because think about it. You beat a big school, right. your specter as a coach goes up, yeah. and your opportunity to make more money because, you you know, let's be honest, the SWAC school coaches probably max out at $350,000 plus. Right. Nick Saban's probably making $10 million plus for doing the same job, same hours, you know, and if it wasn't for segregation, he wouldn't have some of those kids. Those kids would be at an HBCU. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately, um, I think that it's going to come a point where some schools are going to be making decisions not to play the smaller schools mm -hmm. because there's probably going to be um, some weight put on your schedule and, and who you played when it comes to making the bowl games. But right now, they're still playing those games. So my hope is that, you know, that Southern has an opportunity to play some of those schools and can get that big payday. Why, in your opinion... Do you think that LSU has never scheduled Southern 
in football. I mean, uh, they, they've scheduled other state schools. Correct, and they play uh, Grambling, I think, this year. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a capacity issue. They're already selling out Tiger Stadium. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a game with Southern and LSU, you know, where are you going to put 20,000, 30,000 um, Southern fans mm-hmm. um, when you're already selling out Tiger Stadium with Tiger fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of those schools, they maybe give a 10,000, 15,000 allotment of tickets to their competitor. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's a capacity thing. Um, so there's been talks, though, that LSU would play Southern because they've already played everybody else. They played uh, USL. They played, uh, I want to say, Magnese. They played ULM. Yeah, so in this year I think they're playing Grambling. Uh, so, uh, you know, I would assume Southern may have its day. Uh, but I think for, you know, LSU Athletic uh, Director's Office and staff, uh, the challenge would be, you know, uh, how many tickets can you give to Southern, um, you know, and still be able to have all your Tiger faithful, um, you know, be able to get into the stadium? I think it'd just be a, a real cluster, yeah. Uh, yeah. just to put it mildly. So, But it may happen. I mean, again, they're playing Grambling this year, so if you're going to play Grambling, why not play Southern? Why not play Southern? Right. Yeah. So I just, you know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I do know one little tidbit. A um, long time ago, when Nick Saban was here, uh, Michael Hayes, uh, one of Southern's best wide receivers uh, statistically, he was an LSU guy. He transferred, and then he became an All-American at Southern. And Nick Saban uh, made a rule that no Southern, no LSU kid, right, could, co- could come across town. You could leave yeah. Baton Rouge, yeah. but you couldn't come across town to Southern to play. Because I remember when Jerry Donardo was the head coach, there were three or four players that would mm-hmm. leave LSU mm-hmm. and come and play for Coach Richardson at Southern mm-hmm. and had very successful college careers. Correct. And and when Saban came to LSU, like you say, he closed that door. Uh, and I, I didn't know specifically that it was because of Michael Hayes that that happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always found that troubling. There are a lot of Alabama fans around here in Baton Rouge. There are. Uh, 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 and, and I, to no small extent, I think that's because of Nick Saban. Uh, they they pull for Nick Saban. Uh, this this thing that that I hear people say about uh, Alabama is is far more liberal, has a far more liberal history than LSU does as far as black athletes are concerned. It's really bogus. It is. Uh, uh, Bear Bryant didn't want black athletes until he became beat by uh, USC until he got whipped Mm -hmm. and he realized that he needed black athletes in order to win and Mm -hmm. yes LSU was later in coming to uh, the the party but all of the SEC schools have similar history with regard to that I was just curious and and we're going to leave sports because this isn't a sports show I know but but, but, we could talk about this for an hour I was just curious what do you think about why so much of black Baton Rouge supports Alabama when Alabama beats LSU, Facebook is just lit up. Everybody's happy. Roll Tide, the whole I'll, nine yards. I'll give, you, I'll give you two points and we can move on to some other stuff. First off, LSU wouldn't let my grandfather go to LSU, and he used to root against LSU in marbles, jacks, and tillywinks. <laughs> I'm not talking about football and basketball. Marbles, jacks, 
you know, because they made him go to, I think, Colorado to get his master's, to come back to Louisiana to start a high school, Pelican All Saints, All Saints High School in Pelican, Louisiana. So I think that 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 race that racist hate that you know was there for forever today making the rounds of facebook and social media is a letter from uh, LSU's ex-president Middleton yes. about you know the Negro at LSU not letting uh, uh, them participate in athletics or if they wanted to go to the swimming pool they would just close the swimming pool yes. just ugly uh, and apparently it's coming out in Earl Campbell's book mm-hmm. and that's why the letter was re- released to the public uh, and that you know that that mindset seems to prevail uh, a lot of people. Uh, think that LSU does not want a black quarterback, though when they've had a black quarterback, they've had some of their more successful years. Uh, Herb Tyler was, you know, a a wonderful quarterback at LSU. He worked magic when he was back there. Rohan Davey put up big numbers. uh, But it seems that they always default back to uh, a white quarterback. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the things that made Nick Saban popular. He played the best kid who was available to win. And uh, LSU doesn't seem to have that – LSU on a grand scale doesn't seem to have that. And so I think a lot of black people like the fact that Nick Saban would play the best athlete at whatever position it was Mm -hmm. to win, whereas at LSU the prevailing uh, mindset is that they're going to play – who they think is the best person for the job, which may not get you uh, the results you want on the field. But then again, Nick Saban also could walk into someone's home and say, I know what it takes to get your kid to the NFL. And I think a lot of black families who have the hopes that their child uh, can go to the NFL and get that payday, Mm -hmm. they they like that. And people like a winner. Yeah. Nick has won consistently. Uh, Nick has won unapologetically. And, um, you know, he's beat LSU um, pretty much. Six times straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he seems to own LSU. Yeah. Uh, So So much so that they moved the game this year. It's not going to be a night game. It's going to be an afternoon game. Is that right? Because it's not drawing the same numbers kind of interest yeah. because people have an expectation yeah. that Alabama is going to win. Now the season might play out in a different way and they might change that but right now the decision is that it's going to be an afternoon game and not a night game. Yeah, a, a lot of people I know like uh, Alabama uh, and it's funny because you know again you go why? What's your yeah. connection to Alabama? Yeah. And they really have no connection. They just like a winner yeah. and uh, Alabama's been yeah. winning. So. so tell me about Todd Sterling. Okay. Yeah, we, we started with football. Yeah. You're a native of Baton Rouge. I am. Uh, What is the Todd Sterling story? You know, it's a story of um, a kid being born to a beautiful mother and a cool father. Uh, I went to Mayfair Elementary. Actually, I went. To, I started at Mount Zion First Baptist Church. I went to pre-K and kindergarten there, and then I uh, went to Mayfair Elementary, uh, St. Francis Xavier for middle school, Redemptors for high school, Northwestern State for college, and uh, came home and had a 15-year career in radio, mm-hmm. sales, middle management, and as a general manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what I realized was in the corporate world, they're always trying to figure out ways to take a little more money from you mm-hmm. and so I said you know I'm gonna do my own thing and so I started Alpha Media and Public Relations to do my own thing um, along the way uh, I realized that you know 
because I played sports growing up, I ran track and played football in high school, played basketball recreationally in church leagues, and that was always my favorite sport. Mm -hmm. Well, I get to about 30, 30 plus, and I start to realize I can't keep chasing this ball <laughs> because I might bust an Achilles or pull a hamstring. And so um, politics kind of became my sport mm -hmm. uh, and really enjoyed the win and loss of politics uh, while I worked for Citywide Broadcasting, Q106, XLK, helped a lot of people in their campaigns mm -hmm. uh, on the media side win their, 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 their races. And so when I went out and did my own thing, it was a big part of what Alpha Media was. And we've had some success. You know, we won, helped Mary Landrew win and lose. We helped John Bell win. Uh, uh, we've helped uh, a number of judges and uh, um, state reps. Uh, right now I'm in a, a race with Patricia Haynes-Smith, state rep Patricia Haynes-Smith. She's running for Senate. Yes. And so uh, that's going to be a hotly contested race. But, you know, I think when it's all said and done, media is an important job in the world and especially our community because it's the exchange of information. Mm -hmm. And you want that information to be factual. You want it to be as honest as it possibly can. But ultimately, you want it to help people. You want it to help people to make a decision. You want it to be able to help people to save money. You want it to be able to help people to make informed decisions about goods, products, services, elections. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I enjoy media. It's it's uh, it's an important job to me. Uh, and most of the things that Alpha Media does uh, are driven by uh, some form of media. So. Well, in this upcoming election season, mm -hmm. uh, the state legislature is up for election and or re-election this year. Mm -hmm. um, national politics does trickle down into state and local politics. The, 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 the championing of Donald Trump, which uh, seems to be taking place uh, across the nation, particularly in the South, pathetic. Uh, ha it is pathetic, uh, but but it, it trickles down into state and local politics. From my vantage point, what it has done is it has given uh, a lot of conservative white folk permission to say what's always been on their mind. Right. Uh, what's your view on that? It it definitely has uh, opened the door for hate that had probably been um, closed or at least pushed to uh, the back of the room for my lifetime. Uh, I'm 52. Mm -hmm. I'll be 53 in November. And, you know, I was born uh, to a world where King was killed and JFK was killed, uh, Bobby Kennedy was killed, uh, Malcolm X was killed, and all those horrible things like people getting bit and hosed and beat to have the right to vote, mm -hmm. uh, to have the right to go into a store, to have the right to have their money respected. Uh, all of those things were happening uh, during the time that I was born. And so, you know, I grew up in the 70s and you see uh, people making strides. And, you know, I grew up into a South Baton Rouge that had a really, really thriving black business community, Scotlandville, the park area, all those were, mm -hmm. you know, thriving. Uh, black uh, business air, uh, uh, spaces. 
and then you know when you look at it and people start to do the integration thing uh, you realize that for whatever reason the black business community collapsed mm-hmm. um, and you know when you start to talk about the rise of a guy like Donald Trump, he told you that he was an American thug. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that tell you he'll grab a woman by her private parts. Somebody that actually said in a news interview that if he ever ran for Republican, uh, for president, he'd run as a Republican because they're stupid and they'd vote for anything. Uh, this is not something I'm just saying. Yes. It's all on tape. It's all factual history. And yet people still voted for him. Um, the crazy thing about the Trump phenomena is that people seem to, and the people that support him, seem to be okay with lies, seem to be okay with just lying about things as serious as being Christians. Because you got evangelicals putting a guy who's a thug on a pedestal, and this guy is nothing. You wouldn't hire him to be your janitor or your dog catcher if he came to your organization and you knew all of his ill-gotten gains and and all the stuff he had done. Uh, And so you have people who you say are, you know, upwardly standing people who vote for and support him. And so what I believe at this point, uh, Reverend Smith, is it's showing the really ugly underbelly of hate in America, mm-hmm. and it's also showing the truth of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, uh, there's a whole cadre of white folks from poor to rich who feel like they're losing something. And it's like you're not losing anything. All these laws, all these institutions in America were made to you know, support you and to make sure you succeeded. And everybody else is just trying to get a piece of the American pie. Right. And we're all doing it, you know, uh, um, by hard work and effort. You know, nothing's handed to us. And uh, they make it be like something is handed to us. Uh, I hate to see what's going on at the border with the immigrants. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Hitler and Nazi Germany. Yes. Uh, our grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, fought a war, spent a lot of capital and lives, a lot of capital and resources Mm -hmm. to fight uh, evil like Hitler, Mm -hmm. and yet you let a guy like Donald Trump put kids in cages to the tune of hundreds and thousands uh, and not, you know, give them what they need to be uh, functional like soap and toothbrushes and, you know, bathroom facilities. And you go, is this really America? And then you say, yes, it really is America because they did African-Americans horribly like that. And they've done other people horribly like that. Native Americans. They've done Native Japanese Americans. Exactly. So, you know, when you, you ask yourself, you know, what is going on, you you really think that America's losing its soul uh, because you've got a guy like Donald Trump. You know, the, the for me, a guy who just told you his education bona fides, you know, I was always told that you had to, to work hard and you had to uh, really, really pay your dues to get to places in life. Mm-hmm. And you mostly respected people who had education, uh, experience, bona fides, and this guy doesn't even read his 
presidential briefings from experts, and he's just operating from by the seat of his pants. Yes. And he's committed treason. Yes. And he's done so much other horrible things. Yes. And he's basically, um, you, you, I w if it wasn't you, I'd use a, 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 prof, a, a profanity on the office of the presidency yes. of the United States. Yes. It's like, you know, man, do you realize that is probably one of the most important jobs um, that you can have in this world, you know, being the leader of the free world, being yeah. the leader of democracy, and you realize that there are certain groups of people who don't care about it. All they care about is money. All they care about is control and power. And so they'll, they'll let the world become a cesspool of, of, of pollutants and the water polluted and uh, soil polluted and uh, opioids and drugs running rampant mm -hmm. in our communities all behind dollars and cents. Yeah. So it really shows the world that, you know, um, America is bought and sold every day. And if you got the money, you can just about do anything you want to do in America. I am born and bred in the church. Uh, my whole life has been in the church. You had a I, good good daddy that was yes, a, I did. Uh, he, he was a very good preacher and a lot of respect for the, 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 the bricks that he paid, so you have no choice. Yeah. This, this, this is my world, this is my life, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I am so embarrassed by the church, and, 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 and I'm always careful because Saying the church is like saying the government. Right. Uh, you, you have to be specific about what you're talking about because it's local government, state government, different branches of government. When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches mm -hmm. uh, who 25 years ago when this was Bill Clinton who had not done nearly as much, or at least had not been discovered to have done as nearly as much as Donald Trump has admitted to doing. Mm -hmm. uh, these same people were saying he wasn't fit for office, he needed to be impeached, and, and they led the fight to impeach him. And, Correct. Uh, and yet... He spent when, a lot of resources. When, when it's Donald Trump, uh, they, these same people, same groups are saying, well, we're not electing a preacher, we're not electing a pastor, we're electing a president. The fact that people can affirm someone who can't even properly pronounce Second Corinthians I know. and does not make his way to I a church, does not, has said, I don't need to ask God for forgiveness for anything that I've, he's on record as saying, I don't need to ask God for forgiveness for anything. And yet these Christian evangelicals continue to promote him, support him, vote for him. I'm most troubled. I'm, I'm troubled by that. It's an embarrassment. It's a stain on, on the church. But I'm most troubled by the fact that there's still a 15% contingent of African-American folk who will attend those evangelical churches and don't see anything wrong with that. As a man who has been raised in the church, uh, what do you think? What what comes to mind when, 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 when you see that? For, to be quite honest with you, um, Reverend Smith, I think um, that the term House Negro um, is still apropos. Uh, when you go to church with people who vote for a Donald Trump on whatever reasons they vote for a Donald Trump, 
it scares me that you would go and sit next to a person and, you know, singing kumbaya and praising and worshiping and all that, but then know that as soon as you walk out of that church, they're voting against the welfare of your family, the health of you, uh, the, 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 the whatever American dream you have, they are against it. Um, I find that it is strange that uh, that there are people who who seem to want to be oppressed. Yeah, <laughs> there, there are people out there who seem to think that you know uh, Donald Trump is right, and it just kind of lets you know how ignorant a lot of people are. Um, Louisiana, largely a red state and its politicians that we send to Washington, uh, you know, right now, I think the only statewide elected person uh, that's a Democrat is the governor. And so what you have to me is largely an ignorant populace who are voting against their own interest because you're talking about people who make less than median income who are voting for people who are trying to kill off anything that helps people that make less than median income. Yeah. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're brushing your teeth and you're washing your face and you're combing your hair and you go and you vote for a guy who is against all that and he voted to give a tax break to billionaires and it's already proven to be a scheme that didn't benefit anybody but billionaires. You ask yourself, if you're not a billionaire, how stupid are you? And so, you know, for me, I realize that there's uh, the term cultural Republican, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where they they aren't fiscally uh, considered Republicans by Republicans, but you know, because of their hate and their and and, and their dislike for everything, um, they, they they call themselves Republicans. So, it's it's a strange land to be in when you have people who hate for no reason. Uh, I always tell people, you know, you have you have you, you have no reason to hate us. You know, you brought us here, treated us worse than animals. And then, you know, through it all, we survived. Mm -hmm. Through it all, we are here. And then you still find reasons to try to manipulate and control the narrative of how we should live and how we should do things. And so uh, it's troubling when you get to the place and you start talking about church. Now, I'm going to go to a place because you asked me uh, my my thoughts that's really troubling to me. And this is one that, you know, i got to talk to podland people that I never (laughs) quite understand. You know, if you read the Bible, you realize that all the places Jesus walked were basically North Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, Egypt and Bethlehem and all of that. You know, so I would say these people were probably the same color as you and me. Yes. And the Bible says he had hair like lamb's wool. So Mm -hmm. that means he probably had, you know, a natural kind of like mine or somewhere between you and me. Uh, uh, And so, you know, the reality is Jesus, Mary, Joseph, that whole ilk were probably African people, yes. uh, people of a dark hue, and then you see, you walk in all these churches, and it's a white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus on the wall, including black churches. Mm-hmm. And I always ask myself, I said, you know, when you get old enough to understand, you know, how do you continue to um, put that image out there for people um, when, as an African American, 
and somebody with you know an education as most preachers are now you know having doctorates in Mm -hmm. theology you spend a lot of time in the bible and you spend a lot of time reading and you can't help but to know a little bit of geography Mm -hmm. when you are a person who is in the ministry uh, uh, if you are really serious about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, for me, it's like, you know, at what point do you realize that, you know, not only have you changed the narrative of who Jesus was and where they're from, but you have changed the whole look of who this person was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if this person was so good and right that we worship him and, you know, we feel like, you know, he is... Uh, who we all should aspire to be, why do you hate that person so much? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I don't know. Uh, It's a hard question to ask, and it's really troubling when you have to try to deal with it with children. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you ask yourself, you know, if a child is reading uh, his or her Bible and they get to a place where they realize, you know, Daddy, where is this? And you show them, you know, and then they start to read and they start to understand, you know, some of the things. And they go, why, you know, why, why, you know, why does it look like that? You know, and so... When I think when it's all said and done, you know, America and the world has some reckoning to do about its treatment of darker-hued people yes. everywhere. Yes. Uh, you know, you see it in Italy with uh, the soccer players. Uh, they're treating them bad, you know, uh, um, grunting like monkeys and all of this. And it's like, man, this kid's a soccer player. You know, what do you, what do you have to be racist about a soccer player mm-hmm. for? Um, and, you know, the whole Kaepernick thing here, you know, uh, you know, basically this guy should get paid a gazillion dollars. And I hear that he and our local guy, Eric Reed are getting paid uh, by the NFL. But, you know, 30 years from now, this guy will be exalted because if you remember correctly, they hated Muhammad Ali. Yes, they did. But now he's everybody's ad campaign champion and hero. Yeah. Uh, but when he was alive, they hated him yes. uh, for saying the things they did and walking a, a righteous life. Uh, so my hope is that people who are trying to live righteous in these times can be appreciated for it while they're here and not have to be waiting 30 years to die to get that appreciation. Yeah, yeah. With regard to the, the the depictions of Jesus as being white and European, it is the European appropriation of the church that uh, has permeated uh, American Christendom, uh, even down to the African American church, mm-hmm. uh, putting white Jesus in our sanctuary, the art depictions being of a white Jesus. When this church was built in 1972, uh, Jesus and John the Baptist, which hang over the baptismal pool, were both white. Sometime in the early 2000s, some members of the church approached my father, Reverend Charles C. Smith, about changing Jesus' hue, and he did. Mm -hmm. And and so the artist or an artist came back and darkened uh, the picture. and at first, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I had problems with that because I was 
of the opinion that what the scripture says about our worship of God is that God is neither male nor female, slave nor free. And so why are we getting so caught up in that? Subsequently, I have come to understand that people need to identify with Jesus on a human level. They do. And they need to be able to see themselves in Jesus. And 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 so I have had to repent of my own opinions about that change that took place. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, I think it is a, uh, a challenge. Uh, I think it becomes even more of a challenge, Reverend Smith, when um, you are a person who has attended church who has tried to live a righteous life and then things just kind of never go your way Mm -hmm. and you pray and you pray and your mama prayed and your grandmama and them prayed and things just didn't go uh, their way. And so I think a lot of people's faith uh, gets challenged. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people's faith uh, gets uh, uh, questioned. Um, And so you know, if you don't have that hope, you don't have that belief, what do you have? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I hope is that people realize that there is no way but Jesus, uh, there is no way but Christ, um, and that at some point you have to um, look at there had to be something higher than um, whatever to create this world. It's all its beauty, uh, people, and all it, their incredible uh, opportunities to create the things that they've created, to create society, um, you know, and a lot of that came from, uh, you know, places that were, uh, it was ne- necessary to create these things. Um, for me, I'm a person who believes that um, a lot of people are kind of in a purgatory of not believing, not wanting to go to church, uh, even though they may have grown up going to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine who's an atheist, uh, sometimes he and I go back and forth a little bit on Facebook about, you know, uh, his non-belief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell him, you know, man, I said, you know, you're, you're definitely entitled to your opinion. I said, but I sure hope you're wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I hope you're wrong. And, and, and even in our joshing and going back and forth, I still tell them I'm praying for you mm-hmm. to find Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge when you see people who do evil, who do wrong, uh, achieve material wealth. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people achieve, uh, uh, they, they, they look at success as material achievement, whether it be money, mm-hmm. whether it be houses, cars, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I think that um, people need to start to realize that that, that shouldn't be the barometer. Mm-hmm. You know, the barometer should be a healthy family. The barometer should be uh, realizing what is for you is for you. Uh, not everybody was put here to be wealthy, mm-hmm. and not everybody was put here to be poor. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says the poor will be with us always. Yeah. And so the challenge becomes do what you can to help somebody who's not doing as well as you mm-hmm. and realize there's always going to be somebody doing better than you. Right. You know, so right. uh, just challenges, you know, challenges with uh, uh, accepting what is your fate in life and then how to change that to a degree if you can via education, via hard work. Uh, I think that, you know, sometimes you can get out of your, 
your 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 state your status in life if you change your mindset and mm-hmm. put some work in and, and, and get an education. Mm-hmm. You know, certain certain careers offer you a higher income and if that's what you want you got to make that sacrifice, right. you know, and I know from my family, it's always been about education. Yeah. You know, you can definitely, you know, be happy with the status quo, but if you really want to try to ascend, if you really want to try to make some uh, money that is not uh, median, you got you to get something in your head and you got to get into a career that pays um, above average. So I think that, you know, the message for people is to, you know, not to settle uh, and to look at what their opportunities are and then figure a way out of their situation if they're trying to be upperly mobile. Talk about the sacrifices of entrepreneurship in a society, in an environment that is not uh, always welcoming to black entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think it's a challenge. Uh, It's not for everybody uh, because I think, you know, I was always taught by my family, go to school and get a good job. Mm -hmm. Go to school, work hard, get you a job, you know, work up the ladder, you know, retire in 30 years, get you a gold watch and, you know, play with your grandbabies, that whole ethos. I think people are starting to realize that that isn't the way it should be. Uh, At least Todd Sterling thinks that's not the way it should be. I think you should get an education, get some experience, and try to start your business. Mm -hmm. Because business owners have the most taxable freedoms in America. Business owners have the most flexible freedoms, and they're the most uh, desirable people in America uh, for companies and and, and, and places and things uh, as we have evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you start to talk about um, work and uh, entrepreneurship, you know, I think entrepreneurship requires you to grind when everybody else is sleeping. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship, you know, requires you to make some tough decisions to get to a place to where you can enjoy the fruits of your labor. Um, and some people aren't built for that. Uh, starting out in my business, you know, it's really scary because, you know, you work, I worked in media on a commissionable basis. And, you know, you got a check coming every two weeks. Well, when you're an entrepreneur, that check may not come every two weeks. Right. So you got to budget your money for when the money does come to last until this next period, until you get to a place where you're doing okay. And I think that. You know, as I talk to high school and college students, you know, about entrepreneurship, you know, I always tell them, get your education because nobody can ever take that away from you. And you always have that to fall back on. But I always say you really should go somewhere and work for a year, two years, three years until you figure it out on what you want to do because you need to understand how policy and and, and, and behaviors and, and managing yourself in a business environment works before you just go out there and start your own thing. Right. Now, some people can go out there and start their own thing and, you know, catch luck in a bottle and, you know, they're, they're all over the success. Mm-hmm. But then most people, especially of our hue, they have to work a little bit harder at it yeah. and, uh, and strive a little bit harder at it. And so I think you got to pay some dues, 
you got to respect other people's success and then you got to on your time after work and the weekends and you know as you work for somebody else and try to get your own thing going mm -hmm. you know you got to really grind mm -hmm. to get yourself to a place to where um, you can be uh, an entrepreneur and then at that point you got to get good people around you uh, and, and operate in a good good manner uh, and then there's two rules for business you know a lot of times we get one shot you know yes uh, uh, you know you look at it whether it be in the coaching world uh, or whether it be the business world uh, a lot of times you get one shot to, to, to show what you got and you know, you don't get that shot again, unfortunately, whereas other people, they can just get all kinds of opportunities and the banks continue to loan them money yes. and all of that. So I think, you know, you have to realize who you are, you know, and where you are on the uh, status rung of uh, the opportunity to get capital, the opportunity to get opportunities and realize that you don't have maybe the same freedoms as other people to screw it up and you better you know respect the business of business or you won't be in business given that reality and i agree with you 100 percent i know that you're a father of of children that are moving into that age young adulthood to, yeah young adulthood uh i'm a father of a 24 year old and a 22 year old and sometimes I wonder if they're four and two and not 24 <laughs> and, and, and 22. But, but how do you pass on your work ethic to your children? Because clearly you have your own strong work ethic, but the fact that you have it doesn't, doesn't mean that it, it's something that your children inherit. No, my children, I laugh at my friends and colleagues and say, when I die, I want to come back as one of my children because <laughs> they got it going on. Yeah. You know, my children are 21 and 23. Um, and, you know, you, you try to instill in them uh, a good work ethic from a young age so that, you know, you never know when you're going to die, mm -hmm. uh, Reverend Smith. And what you want, and what I always tell people from my two children that God gave me, I just want to know that Todd and Elise Sterling can feed themselves and navigate in this world, because this is a cruel world. Yes. Um, so I'd like to see them, uh, before I close my eyes, get into their profession, what they want to do in life, and you know, be successful in navigating the pitfalls and pratfalls of work until they're at a place where they're kind of writing their own path mm -hmm. um, and they can hopefully one day maybe get married and have a family and, you know, be happy and, mm -hmm. you know, live the life that me and their mother are, have given them. Um, but, you know, part of that is them having to see you sacrifice right. and work and burn some midnight oil and, you know, um, build relationships and really do the things that are necessary to um, uh, be successful. Uh, what's funny in America is that Republicans are considered conservative and Democrats are considered liberal, but let's be honest. African-Americans are the real conservatives in America because we had to be. Yeah. We didn't have much. Right. And so to be able to uh, manage a house, feed a house, clothe a house, insure a house, you have to be conservative and you have to be frugal to make the little money that you do have go 
all those places. And so we're conservative by nature. We're conservative by necessity. Mm -hmm. And so having your children see that uh, frugality, uh, having your children know that, you know, you need to save, uh, you know, 30 cents or 20 cents or 10 cents of a dollar and don't spend it all. And, you know, just because you got it, you don't need those new tennis shoes. You know, just because, you know, we may have it, we're not buying this Range Rover. Um, I think that kids see that, and I think kids start to realize that, you know, at some point they have to make those decisions with themselves on how to manage money. And for me, it goes to a place of, you know, I'm a, from a family of educators. I really believe as early as in middle school, some financial literacy needs to be taught Mm -hmm. in schools. And, you know, it's criminal that it hasn't been happening. But you, every year, graduate a high school class of people who are young adults who really have no idea how to manage uh, money. And one of the first things they do if they do go to college is they get a credit card app to get, you know, $2,500, $5,000 of credit, and then you go and you get that and you start spending it and then you don't have no way to pay it back. And Correct. automatically you're in creditor's jail or hell or whatever, however you want to call it. So for me, I think you definitely have to start getting financial literacy in the schools as early as middle school so that when they get to high school they have some semblance of, you know, how to manage money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that people can start to be a little bit more successful in their decision making on if I really want to go to college and get a degree that can help me to get into what I want to get into, or if I should go the vocation route and learn how to weld or learn how to do right. automotive repair or learn how to... And we pushed our kids away from that. Right. There, there, there's a whole segment of the black community that said, no, you've got to go to college. You've got to get the four-year degree. And I know what my parents meant by that. Right. And I know that they were looking out for my best interest, my brother and my sister's best interest. But the truth of the matter is not everybody is intended to go to college. And you don't have to go to college in order to be successful. And I think this generation is figuring that out right. uh, in ways that we didn't figure it out because I went where my father told me I was going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that you know what we've come to realize is that um, – a lot of times you may go four, five, six years to a college, spend all this money, get, accrue this debt, and your degree is only worth twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year yeah. max. Yeah. And you're never going to be able to pay uh, the, 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 the student loan back, and you're never going to get to a place where you're uh, financially solvent based on uh, uh, some of these degree offerings. Some of these degree offerings are into dead jobs and opportunities. And so, you know, you, 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 I think you're at a place where people need to relook at, you know, should I go to Southern Ellis or should I go to BRCC? Right. Should I go to BRCC or should I go to, you know, well, voc- vocational school is now rolled, I think, into BRCC. Yeah. You know, but you got Fraser Votech and the Votech that used to be uh, off of Windburn. Right. I think those are all part of BRCC now, yeah. you know, sh- because, you know, let's be honest, the plumber makes darn good money. Uh, the, time I have to right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and a lot of the vocational, the welders make 
stupid money. Yeah. Uh, riverboat pilots make more money than doctors. Six-figure incomes. I mean, not just six figures, <sighs> you know, almost three hundred half million dollar income. Yeah. So, you know, those are a lot of things that a lot of people just really, really, some of them didn't know about it. But we've come too far to say you didn't know yeah. what some of these people were making. Now you know. Yeah. And the question is, you know, are you, are, is your child willing to do uh, what's necessary discipline-wise to be able to get that welding license uh, or that plumbing degree? Um, you know, I have to give you an example. My father was a brilliant electrician naturally, you know, not by education, mm -hmm. uh, but I guess from necessity. Uh, um, and he went, when I was a man, to Fraser Votech up until I think the last month uh, to get his electrical license. And he quit, you know, and he quit college after three and a half years. And, you know, I told him, I said, Pop, see, you know, man, you can't quit. I said, you know, you're doing uh, electrical jobs for 50 bucks an hour. I said, you get this piece of paper, you can do it for 125 an hour. And I said, you know, you can't quit. You got to, you know, you got to do it. And he, he just couldn't, didn't have the stick to mm -hmm. to stay and get that, uh, that, that electrical degree. But if anybody takes anything from what I've said today, those licenses offer you the opportunity to make a good living for right. your family, make a good living for your children, make a good living for whatever you con consider a good living yeah. uh, in those fields that are in demand. Yeah. So I think education has come to a place where we realize that going to college isn't the end-all, be-all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the math is now, but I would probably say 60% of the people who get a college degree aren't working in the field that they went into. Right. And even today, I have a, a young lady who's a cousin of mine who just graduated in May, and she's working at a plant. And we talked on the phone last night, and I said, well, I thought you were going to be a physician's assistant. And she said, well, you know, I still want to do that. She said, but, uh, you know, the place I'm working at, uh, they're really, really trying to get me to change my mind. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of research and using a lot of the skills I, I, I acquired in my education mm -hmm. uh, working for this, this, you know, industrial concern. And I said, well, I said, I want you to follow your dream. You know, if mm -hmm. that's what you want to do, you know, if the job that you're doing is fulfilling and you're happy, great. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to be a physician's assistant, you know, go ahead on and, you know, make that sacrifice and, you know, walk away from that money mm -hmm. because it's only going to get better. You know, as you get better at what you do for them, they're going to offer you more money, right. promotions, and then you're going to look up in 10 years, you're going to be at this plant when you really want to be a physician's assistant. Yeah. So I just, you know, you, I think you got to ask yourself what you want to do. I think mm -hmm. you got to follow, you know, your dream if, if you can, if you have a path to follow it. And, um, you know, hopefully you can get to a place to where when you wake up in the morning and you go to do work, and you don't mind, that's when you're at a great place. You know, as a, as, a, as a minister, you know, every day I'm sure you come to work, you have an opportunity to talk to some people who really are going through some tough things mm -hmm. and some challenges in their life. And a lot of times you're giving people 
a word that inspires them to do better, inspires them to step up to their challenge, inspires them or helps them in whatever way there is. Some days you don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some days that word just doesn't connect. Mm -hmm. But I would assume a lot of times it does connect, and that's a beautiful thing. And so you shouldn't mind getting up every day if you love what you do and you realize, you know, this is what I was put here to do, you know. I feel kind of the same way about what I do in media. Uh, you know, I love seeing the business owners I work with make more money. Uh, I love seeing them reach more people. Mm-hmm. I love seeing them have more success. And usually that translates into my success because mm-hmm. they'll probably refer me or they'll probably do more business with me. Uh, and so, you know, if that's the case, when you go to sleep at night, you wake up and you go, okay, let's go get them. Because you, know, yeah. you got to do something, yeah. you know. So if you don't mind getting up, you know, in the morning, I think you're at the place that you should be at work-wise. And if you are at a place that, oh man, I got to go to work, you really ought to think about where you're working. My father you know? used to say to me all the time, the worst thing in the world is to have to get up and go to a job that you hate every day. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I have not had that experience. I'm I'm very grateful. I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I thank God for Beautiful. that. Media is an artistic endeavor, mm-hmm. and yet entrepreneurship is is the antithesis of art. How do you blend those two worlds together successfully? I don't know that I do it successfully. Uh, I think I've had uh, a lot of fortune. I think God smiles on me uh, to some degree, uh, and I actually I actually hate the business side of it. Um, I wish I didn't. I wish I spent more time on the business side of it. Uh, but, you know, I love the artistic side of it, and I love the the, the, the factual side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you have enough uh, reach and frequency with your message, nine times out of ten, you're going to get people to hear that message, and those people are going to respond if they want or need a product or a service. And if they need it, they're going to respond to your message message sooner. Mm-hmm. If they just want it, they'll go get that suit when they're good and ready. But if you know you got a need for a blue suit because you wear a blue suit on a regular basis, if you hear that commercial, it's going to make you go get that that blue suit. So, you know, I think um, when you start to put together uh, campaigns for clients in media, you know, ultimately if you had everything that you could uh, want to be successful, that's kind of rare because you, most people have a limitation of money, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of times people want to do uh, broad campaigns. They need to be on radio, TV, billboard, social media, you know, some digital, you know, all of that, some print. But then when you get right down to it, they only have enough money to do one or two right. things. Right. And so you got to really kind of help them to uh, zone in now on... That leads me to a different question. Sure. Uh, it's around the same subject, but mm-hmm. but having to do with us, mm-hmm. black folk. Mm-hmm. How do you tell folk, I can't cut you a kinfolk deal just in order to to accommodate your wishes? <laughs> because every time somebody comes to you, Come on, bro. You, you can't you cut me a break? How do you explain to people that you have the same expenses that everybody else does? 
You know, that is the age-old fact of being an African-American that, you know, people are looking for a hookup. Mm-hmm. And it's not just us. The Middle Easterners, they're the worst. They negotiate with everybody. They, they, they think if, you know, something's $5, uh, they can get it for 3 Right. The Jewish people, they negotiate, 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 and it's, you know, just never seen as wrong. It's just seen as a part of their culture. Um, I think at some point there's a, um, a place where you need to let somebody make some money, let them give you a deal where um, they can do a great job for you, but then they also can make a profit so they can feed their family. Yeah. And I don't really have that answer of, you know, how do you get people out of that? I just think people Well, let me are, ask you this. I think are people, you frustrated by it? So sometimes, sometimes you are, you know, sometimes you, you know, you say you expect me to do it for X, but you right. go down the street exactly. and you pay triple X. Yes. And you, you know, you ask yourself, you know, why, uh, why must I play this game with people? Yes. And sometimes you just got to walk away. Sometimes you go, that's not, that business isn't for me. Right. Uh, and then other times I think you have to, you know, say, well, if I do this deal, I can get more business from it. Mm-hmm. Or if I do this deal, X, Y, Z will see it and they'll see the quality of my work. Mm-hmm. And so I think you got to ask yourself, what's the best place for you to be uh, um, when you, you, you go to, to do a deal. But, you know, the, the hope is that you get to a place to where, you don't have to deal with uh, folks who are trying to uh, get the kinfolk deal all the time, mm-hmm. and you have more folk who really want you because you really are good in the space you work in, and they'll pay what you ask because they realize, you know, you got bills. You know, yeah. you got a house note, you got car notes. In my case, two children in college, a pretty wife. You know, all those things cost. Reverend Absolutely. Smith. So for me, I just think you got to. Um, um, you know, be honest with your clientele and be honest with yourself mm-hmm. on what you need mm-hmm. um, to do something for someone in whatever space that may be. As we approach the legislative session, I'm covering as many grants because I got to stop. Okay. I'm covering as many different grounds as I possibly can. As we're approaching this legislative election, the census is coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that we have appropriate representation in the Louisiana legislature uh, for the redistricting that will result from uh, the 2020 census. Mm -hmm. What is your insight? What what is your projection as to what's going to happen with redistricting? Do you have an insight on that? Yeah, there's going to be redistricting and, um, you know, my hope was that um, redistricting would be more based in reality mm-hmm. instead of these gerrymandered districts that we have currently. But when you elect a guy like Donald Trump and he elects people who are supporters of his financially and of the same mindset as his, you get a Supreme Court who says a gerrymandered district is is a it's good okay. thing. And yeah. that lets you know that we are in a bad space yeah. because, you know, representation means everything, uh, whether you're white, black, green, yellow. You know, if you are uh, a minority 
and you live in an area, you definitely want to be represented uh, by someone who understands you, uh, even better if they look like you and live in the same space as you. It's one thing to be able to reach out and touch Reverend Fred Jeff Smith because he lives in my neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, versus me having to go across town uh, to try to find Reverend Smith because I need to talk to him about something. Uh, same way with politics. You know, if you can't pick up the phone and call your elected official, you know, you probably don't have access. Right. And I think people need to realize that uh, in America, this is the way, you know, access and opportunity is given. And it's about how you participate in this democracy. Um, my hope is that lines are drawn um, a little bit more realistic based on um, where you live. Um, for example, our current uh, uh, congressman, uh, Cedric Richmond, he lives in New Orleans. Yes. But the way they gerrymandered a district, it's New Orleans, it snakes up yes. the river to a pocket of Baton Rouge, when in all honesty and factuality, he should be in New Orleans and we should have another congressman in Baton Rouge right. who represents the people of Baton Rouge. Right. Uh, so that, I believe, is coming, mm-hmm. uh, and how they draw it will be the question. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, because the people that you vote for this fall will be a party to that redistricting that's coming up. Yeah. So this election is super important because you need I to know. have people that look like you at the table when the redistricting comes up so they can say, no, we need this to be a district that makes sense for people to vote on yeah. so that you can get good representation in the United States Congress for this group of people. And in our state legislature. Correct. Uh, uh, I understand that there's going to always be a white majority in the state legislature, at least in my lifetime. Uh, but these districts where uh, white politicians are seeding 80 to 85% black districts uh, over here so that they only have 5% black districts over here that they can continue to dominate. That's not working for us. No, it's not. And, 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 and some of us need to recognize the importance of increasing black population in majority white districts yeah. so that white politicians are forced to listen to black folks' issues. Yeah. Even if the representative is white, you can't just ignore 25 or 30 percent black population within your district. You have to pay attention to what they're saying. Yeah. I live in Concord. Well, you know, we're neighbors. You know, you live in Stratford. I live in Concord. And looking at a map recently, it is amazing how um, one of these district lines was drawn. It's drawn so that um, one district starts way down in Riverbend and comes up uh, downtown and then it loops around College Drive, picks up Valley Park, Concord and Stratford, but on this side of Perkins Road, if anybody knows, who's in the podcast world knows Baton Rouge, from like, I would say Acadian Thruway uh, um, down Perkins Road back south it becomes a whole nother district. Right. I mean, literally, it's like a peninsula within a district, and it doesn't make sense. Right. Because the people on this side of Perkins Road, 
uh, uh, may not make as much as the people on this side of Perkins Road, but it ain't far apart. Right. You know, it's not like apples and oranges. It's not. It's not the ghetto and the country club. That is correct. But at the same time, I think people have to stand up and say, hey, you know, Mr. Uh, representative or senator or council person, you know, I live in your district and I want to talk to you about some things that are happening that I want. That I want. And I think that people start to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm on the Planning and Zoning Commission and business owners have no problem reaching out saying, I'm building a neighborhood, I'm building a store, I'm doing this, I need to talk to you about it. Regular people need to realize that they can do that too with yes. their politicians. And they got to realize that they really need to do that when it comes time to talk to their politicians about education, about health care, about jobs and opportunities, because they're critical. And if you aren't talking, that means that you must not care. And so you just get what you get. Right. If you care, right. you're going to make the time and the effort to go and talk to somebody about your child's education or you and your child's health care or, you, or your opportunity for uh, work. And so my hope is that people uh, get a little bit more involved with the political process. And my hope is that people get out to vote. I mean, ultimately, the governor is up for election. Uh, a couple of key races in the state legislature, some judges. So I think it's going to be a healthy uh, political season as far as people getting out to vote. But you and I both know, you know, the only reason Trump is in office is because people were apathetic. Yes. You know, people didn't go to vote. Yeah. And that's people across all hues. You know, they thought that, you know, somebody else was going to do it for them. Right. And they didn't. And so you end up with a Donald Trump as president, yeah. you know, which is a total joke to the world. So for me, you know, my hope is that people take their uh, uh, right to vote seriously, exercise their franchise, get them and their families out to vote uh, this fall. Got to stop. I need to ask you. I, hopefully, you'll come back. I, I hope you enjoyed. Sure, this I did. It was good. You, you told me before we started that uh, uh, you, you're not really into podcasts. I hope this will help feed your your interest well, into podcasts. You know I'm going to go and listen to this one for sure <laughs> to see how, see how crazy I sounded or if I was right on point on no, some stuff. You're but, right on point. Well, I appreciate I that. I always ask every guest this question, either about themselves or in your case it will be about your children because mm -hmm. I think you've already made up your mind here's where you're going to live. Uh, given what you know about Baton Rouge, native of Baton Rouge, raised a family in Baton Rouge, would you like to see your children, your African-American son and daughter, spend their years in Baton Rouge? I, I know that they have their own right and they have their own minds and what have you, but if they said, I'm going to plant my flag in Baton Rouge, would you be good with that? You know, it, it, it is my hope. Um, just being a family-centric guy, I stayed in Baton Rouge because I'm a big mama's boy. Mm -hmm. My mom is a single mother, I mean, a um, only child. And um, I wanted my kids to be able to grow up close to their grandmother because I had that dynamic. And it was wonderful, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to grow, go to your grandmother's house and get that love that your mama and your daddy don't give you, to hear those stories. Right. Uh, uh, my great-grandmother, you know, I used to go to her house, and she didn't ask you if you was hungry. She asked you what you wanted to eat, <laughs> and she'll go about the business of cooking that. Yeah. That's how good I had it, uh, Reverend Smith. So... 
I would hope that my kids could stay here. But what I know about Baton Rouge is it seems that a lot of people have this mentality of paying people the least possible, uh, which is really, really ugly. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go to school or you get a certification to earn uh, something on the fair, open market, you should pay people what they're worth. You should pay people uh, commiserate with whatever uh, the marketplace says. Unfortunately, a lot of young people, and they always talk about the Louisiana youth brain drain, is because they can go right there to Texas, to Houston, Mm -hmm. or Dallas, or they can go right there to Atlanta, or they can go to other cities and earn double or whatever the fair market rate is and what what kind of uh, profession they're they're in. So, you know, I would hope that... um, you know, my son graduates in December, my daughter next May. Uh, my hope is that um, if they can get a great opportunity in Baton Rouge, that they, they stay and we can have that dynamic, that family dynamic close. But if they, um, if the marketplace won't pay them fair wage, you know, I would love to see them get out of here and go see some other part of not just the country, the world, uh, mm-hmm. and have the opportunity to be free uh, uh, and earn financially whatever they're worth, to earn you know, and do what they want to do mm-hmm. professionally, uh, and to be happy, uh, ultimately. You know, I think when yeah. people are happy, they're more fulfilled. Right. Uh, when people are happy, there's less strife. When people are happy, there's less uh, dumb stuff. So, you know, I, I pray for my children those things to be fulfilled in their work, to be happy in their, their personal lives and, you know, to get all the things that they want to come their way within reason. And so if they can have that in Baton Rouge, great. And if they can't, please leave Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and go be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Baton Rouge has a lot of work to do in that space, uh, you know, that whole uh, uh LGBT thing Kip Holden tried to pass that didn't pass Uh, it caused a lot of people to leave Baton Rouge who were you know creatives and thought leaders and uh, bright people right and you know Baton Rouge has got to get out of its own way Mm -hmm. uh, in those spaces uh, to some degree um, so that Baton Rouge can fly I always tell business leaders and business entrepreneurs uh, when it comes to uh, employees and pay, if you think about it, if you pay people more, if you pay people fairly, they're just going to spend the money right back with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like if you give me uh, $15 an hour as a minimum wage person that I'm going to go start a car dealership and then I'm going to buy all the cars <laughs> from me. You know, if you give somebody a $15 hour job, you know, they're going to go buy a car from you, Mr. Car Dealership. They're going right. to buy groceries from you, Mr. Grocery Store Owner or Real Estate Agent or Insurance Guy. Right. And so at some point, people have got to realize that you know, if you pay people fairly and stop just gouging the market and profits, you know, you pay people fairly, the money's going to come back to you, and you're going to have a whole lot happier and healthier uh, working population workforce. I think companies will want to come to Baton Rouge. Companies will want to come to this region. Um, because if not, what we're going to be is we're going to be the armpit of the nation, mm-hmm. only 
uh, heavy pollutant type companies are going to want to come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the 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 heady type professions won't because the school system will you know preclude them from coming here because they're not going to be able to get the people uh, with education and acumen to do the jobs that are necessary in those spaces. So Baton Rouge has got to pick it up. Yeah, you know they got to get. Uh, a mindset that you know we're gonna uh, realize that we need to change our economy from petrochemical uh, driven so much to uh, some of these new technologies that are out there and I think if we embrace it a lot of young people not only will stay but more young people will come and you know uh, Pastor uh, Smith in the church business, if you don't have some babies crying in the church, your yeah, church is dying. That's right. Right. And so, you know, ultimately Baton Rouge needs to have a lot of young families with young kids who are coming and really enjoying our culture, you know, enjoying all the things that are good about Baton Rouge. So my hope is that my kids can enjoy that. And if they can't, you know, hello, Houston, hello, <laughs> whatever, San Nashville. Francisco, Nashville, yeah. you know, Atlanta, Charlotte, you know, there are some cities out there that are really, really, really doing it yeah. and making it attractive for people to come yeah. and live in their spaces. Yeah. So I really appreciate your time. Thank sir. you. I know sir. you're a busy man. I thank you for taking time to come and share with us. All right. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time.